Hey everyone, this is Jacob, and today is a very special episode because I'm here with Vic Boris, a professor of music at Susquehanna University. I had him for a class, and I was so inspired by that class that I decided um, I wanted to do a series with him. So for the next maybe eight episodes or so, we are going to be talking about the evolution of rock and roll, and it should be a lot of fun. And today is the first episode for that. So um, we've been playing this for, for a little while now, so I'm happy that we, we finally got a chance to get started. So, Vic, how are you doing today? I'm doing very well. Very well. Thanks for asking. Yeah, of course. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm glad we've been able to make this work, that we can finally get started. So let's just go ahead. Let's jump right into it. So like I said, we are going to be talking about the evolution of rock and roll. And the first thing that you have to mention when you're talking about the evolution of rock and roll is the blues because you can't have rock and roll without the blues, right? That's right. So how, how can, can we, let's, let's start there. So, so we know that R&B, rhythm and blues, serves as the foundation for and provides the basic elements for rock and roll, right? Yes. And, and we see that starting kind of in, kind of with, with slaves in the field, right? Doing what you call... Call, call and response is, is what I remember from our class. Yeah, like field hollers where there would be a, uh, a, a leader who was the lead singer and he would chant things in the field while people were working and they would respond to him in their own way until they eventually probably ended up sort of writing, but without writing it down, writing songs. Yeah. And they followed a basic form, like uh, he would say something and chant something, and then he would chant it again, because all blues, almost all blues, repeats the first line twice, and then it has the third line, which is a clincher, which adds up to a total of 12 bars. But the thing is, that was later, when it started to actually take a form that fit, uh, that fit uh, in, into the uh, field of analyzing music. But the, the field hollers and the work songs didn't necessarily have a particular form. That developed a little bit later. Mm. And those, I, I remember we talked, like, obviously those kind of songs that they would sing um, were pretty mellow because obviously that's not a great life. And that's kind of, kind of the reason that we call it the blues. Is that right? Yes, well, it wasn't a very happy life, let's face it. Yeah. Uh, it uh, they worked from morning till night. And the thing is, uh, they worked through all sorts of weather, extremely hot weather. And even when the weather was cold, they worked through that. So there was always something to sing what we call the blues about. A lot of people think the blues is nothing but bad luck, but it's not true. It's... Uh, very often, the blues uh, that we think of as blues were uh, actually black spiritual songs or uh, religious songs that uh, they sang in the fields as they went about their chores. And a lot of these songs developed into m much more interesting uh, ways of communicating that we use today. For instance, vocal slurs, scooping into a note. Like, oh, yes, I'm feeling... And very often they use things like falsetto, which we hear today, like in uh, the music of the Four Seasons. Because 
I don't have a very good falsetto, <laughs> I'm sorry to say. And a lot of the things resulted in call and response, which is pr very prevalent in today's rock and roll. Like if you're at a dance and you're listening to an old song like, uh, hey, 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 and while you're dancing out on the floor, you respond to that. So uh, the, the connections are pretty, pr pretty much there, and there's even a lot more, but I think that's pretty much the basics right there. Mm -hmm. And some something else that I read is the every the the fact that that the blues is is more rhythmically complex. Is that a good way to put it? Yes, because the blues had something called syncopated melodies. Like for instance, instead of which is rather. Uh, sort of square, if you want to call it, but if we do the offbeat sort of thing, you see what I mean? That was pretty sloppy, but uh, I think that gets the point across. I don't want to be too complicated on a lot of this stuff. I just want to yeah. stay with the basics. I okay. thought that sounded good, but... <laughs> so, okay. So trying to keep it as simple as possible, if, if we can. What... What do we mean by rhythm and, and harmony? Because I know that's another term that we want to get. Well, right harmony now. is based on combination of notes. Like, I'm going to stick to the key of C uh, and for everything we do. We use the first note of the scale, then do we, we do, re, mi, fa, so, and that makes what we call a triad. And this is very common no matter what sort of instruments you use. Uh, and then there are different forms of the triad. There are the ones that are used like with the blues. That note right there sort of gives you a feeling of it has to resolve somewhere. See what I mean? And uh, so the uh, harmonies are pretty interesting. And also the blues scale uh, well, here's your regular Do, Re, Mi, Fa, Sol, La, Ti, Do scale. But here's the blue scale. I think you can see that it's not your typical uh, Do, Re, Mi scale from The Sound of Music by Rodgers and Hammerstein. So we have... Uh, we have... A lot of different things that contributed to the formation of rock and roll, just in those two things. A syncopated rhythm, syncopated melody. Oh, by syncopated melody, this can take us all the way back to the days of Scott Joplin in the late 1890s. Yeah. Now, if you wanted to play that a little squarer, so to speak, it'd be... But it's this hitting that high note, that syncopated note. I threw in some extra notes there. But anyway, it's that syncopated high note that's thrown in between the beat that gives the blues uh, something else uh, that will lead up further to, into the world of rock and roll. It almost sounds like less choppy, I feel like. 
you know. Yeah, it has a smoother feel to it. It's smoother. almost like the way you speak. Yeah. Rather than uh, the way you would, you know, put it in the world of Mozart, you know. It's yeah. not exactly right on the beat. And I mean, well, I mean, to me, just first thought, that makes sense if this evolved from those field hollers and call and response in the field because I feel like in that environment you would be more speaking than right I mean like you said it's less writing a song and more talk like making this sort of music about your day and just kind of talking about your day in this call and response sort mm -hmm. of format well that's that's the thing you know music is really a continuation of speaking but it uses musical things such as pitch rhythm uh, all sorts of things that uh, we use in, in real life. Mm -hmm. I, when, like when you use a sentence, uh, you know what words to accent in the sentence to get your point across. Yeah. And that's what music tries to do. Mm -hmm. And if it's successful, it's great. Mm -hmm. so, so we've established, so we know rhythm and blues is, is the foundation of rock and roll that we hear later on yes and and we know that 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 the rhythm and blues kind of came from um these call and response and the field hollers uh from slaves in the field and it was more more emphasized rhythm rather than harmony like you like we just talked about right yeah like, because okay. the blues use the same three chord harmony that country western uses uh, the one chord, the four chord, the five chord. The one chord. Four chord. But now, here's the thing. If you're going to do a 12-bar blues, which is the most common of them all, I'm going to count out the measures as I play a 12-bar blues. Now, I'm not going to play anything very fancy. I'm just going to use the chords. Here we go. Measure one. And what you do is you just keep repeating those chord changes, the one chord, the four chord, the five chord, over and over again in that pattern every time. And uh, that is the formation of uh, the form of the blues, actually. Mm -hmm. So just, just to continue on this kind of topic, and you mentioned country western. I know Tin Pan Alley was another genre kind of present at the time. Can you talk about like the different, you know, the distinctions between, I guess, blues, Tin Pan Alley, maybe country western? Okay, well, let's take a look at country western. Country western uses the same three chords uh, in its simplest form. Not today. Today, country western is much more complex and uh, a lot more, uh, you know, using a lot more ideas. But take the song by, uh, uh, let me see. Who did this? Oh, it was uh, Tank Williams. I'm going to use only, well, I'm going to use four chords because there is another chord in there. Hey, good looking, what you got cooking? How's about cooking something up with me? Now, the thing is, I used a D7 chord instead of an F chord in there. But nevertheless, 
you see the simplicity of country music way back then, in the 30s and the 40s, it appealed to everybody, which made a rock and roll appeal to everybody, because you didn't have to have a discerning ear to listen to it and appreciate it. It was simple enough that everybody could say, hey, that sounds good. But now, when you get to uh, some other music by composers such as Stephen Sondheim, who writes all sorts of unusual uh, record-breaking, not record-breaking, but new-breaking uh, chords in his music, it can be a little bit difficult to, uh, to uh, listen to, especially if you took it back 60, 70 years and played it for just the average audience. You see what I'm saying? So we came from simplicity to a lot more today. Uh, it's, it's kind of, but nevertheless, the blues leaves itself open and rock and roll leaves itself open for a lot of improvisation, which eventually became the big thing in rock and roll and jazz. So uh, yeah, improv is, is great. Mm -hmm. I, I, I never play anything the same way twice, I think. And I mean, that makes sense to me because everything, again, just going back to that origination of, of Slaves in the Field is, I mean, that's entirely improv. I mean, it's just off the top of your head. Mm -hmm. Exactly. You know, you're thinking about. So that makes sense to me that, you know, improvisation would be such a big thing because that seems to what it be, that it would be based off of. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So what, what about Tin Pan Alley? Can you explain what that would be and how that kind of plays into rock and roll? Sure. Tin Pan Alley is a form of music that was written for the Broadway stage and for the movies, and also for sort of folk songs uh, that had 32 bars of music, not 12, but 32. And it had a particular form uh, in its simplest form. Now, I'm not going to get into all of them, but in its simplest form, it would be uh, eight bars of music, followed by another eight bars of music that had the same melody, but maybe different words. And then it went into another eight bars of music that was completely different for variety. And then it finished with another eight bars of music that were exactly the same as the first eight bars and the second eight bars that would sort of add up uh, to a, a nice piece of music. And with that B section, the third time you hear the eight bars, uh, you're going to have a completely different melody, but nevertheless the same subject matter as far as the words are concerned. Mm -hmm. uh, so if, if you will, will indulge with me, I'll try to do a quick number that has 32 bars of music. And uh, let me see. Let's go for it. I'll do, hey, good looking, what you got cooking? Because even though... Uh, even though it's a country tune, it follows the form of Tin Pan Alley. Okay, so here we go. Here's the second section of A. Now here's the B section, which is contrast. section. Now, the thing is, that adds up to, you know, I haven't played for almost, I, 
a year. Sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> that was terrible. My fingers are actually cold. Uh, but uh, that adds up to 32 bars of music, which is the most typical form of Tim Pan Alley. Okay. And is it fair to say that... Well, let's get let's get our timeline straight here. So we're I'm thinking we're talking about 1940s-ish, right? Yeah. Okay. And it's fair. Is it fair to say that Tin Pan Alley is more like pop music for that time? Um, yeah, in a way. You know, there was a movie on TV the other day with Herman's Hermits, and Connie Francis, who was one of the female singers who made it really big in the 1950s and early 60s, and every song that they sang was more like a jingle, like the one that I just uh, badly played on the piano. And uh, the thing is, uh, that was sort of left over from the 20s, the 30s, the 40s, into the 50s, and even the 60s, when this movie was made. And I watched some of it the other day. It was a horrible movie. Hmm. But uh, nevertheless, uh, they were not singing real rock and roll. They were not singing... uh, Jailhouse Rock. They were not singing Good Golly Miss Molly, which are based on a different form uh, other than Tin Pan Alley, which would be much closer, if not exactly, the 12-bar blues. Mm, okay. So, so we... I know we said... We, so we said that, that rhythm and blues serves as the foundation for rock and roll. But we've talked about country western Tin Pan Alley as well. Do they all kind of help forge the way for for rock and roll? Yeah, because even when rock and roll was in full swing by the early 60s, the Beatles, when they came here in 1964, they weren't doing rock and roll blues at all. They were doing songs that were in the form of Tin Pan Alley, especially the music of Paul McCartney. Paul McCartney grew up listening to a lot of theater music in England because that was where he got his his ideas in, as far as music was concerned. And if you take a look at their stuff, they even took a song from a Broadway show called The Music Man. There were bells on the hill But I never heard them ringing No, I never heard them at all Till there was you thing is, that uh, is a typical Tin Pan Alley song with the first section and the second section being the same melody. Then the middle section, or we call it the middle section, the B section, and there was music and there were wonderful roses. They tell me in sweet. Now you can see that's not like the beginning of the song at all, but it's in there for... uh, a variety, so the song doesn't become stagnant. But see, with the blues, you can repeat those 12 bars over and over and over and over, but they work because of the simple reason that it relies a great deal on improv. Mm -hmm. And so every time you get to the bottom of the 12 bars, which only could take maybe 15, 16 seconds, you can go back to the beginning and do the same chord changes, the same everything, but you can change the improv. You can change the mood. You can change so much. But in a Tin Pan Alley song, you're kind of stuck with what you've got Mm -hmm. because that actually had a composer who wrote down exactly what you should play, melody-wise and otherwise. So we've got Tin Pan Alley, which is, like you just said, has the notes 
there's a way for it to be played, not really improv. Right? Yeah, it's actually published on paper. Yeah, based off of, you said, um, like Broadway, right? Mm-hmm. Like Broadway musicals. So we have that that kind of genre at the time. We've got the blues, which is improv, like a lot of improv, 12-bar blues. You can repeat it over and over again because it's reliant on, mm-hmm. on improvisation. And if you're a true rock and roller and a true jazz musician, you probably would tend to even play a Tin Pan Alley song with a lot of blue notes in them, mm. so, which is uh, what I do a lot. Uh, even though it's Tin Pan Alley, I have a lot of fun messing around with... Uh, the blue notes mm-hmm. that you get here rather than mm-hmm. okay i mean i guess that's what it's about i mean you play whatever sounds good there's not strict rules that you have to follow if it sounds good you want to you want to play it yeah so so all of these things kind of come together to make what is rock and roll eventually is that fair? Uh, yeah, except they stay in their own backyard mm. a little more than you think. Well, I mean, yeah, because you do have different sub... I mean, rock and roll is a big thing, and there's different subgenres. Mm-hmm. So you're saying you can kind of see more influence and maybe Tin Pan Alley in one subgenre and more blues influence in another? Uh, yeah, that's true, but I'll tell you what. The album that is considered to be the greatest rock album of all time by most publishers and most writers and most uh, musicologists would say that it's Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. But you know what? There's not one blues number on that album. Mm. There's not one blues rock and roll number on that album. They're all a shoot-off of Tin Pan Alley. But nevertheless, uh, the Beatles were so inventive that when they came along even though they were doing a lot of Tin Pan Alley uh, things at the beginning. Uh, <laughs> that was my cat. That's, that's Vic's cat. He, she likes to play the piano. Yes, yeah, she does. Okay, so how did this start to spread in the United States around the 1950s? Well, in the early 1950s, a number of tunes made it onto the uh, jukeboxes that were based on the 12-bar blues, for instance... I'm going to Kansas City, Kansas City, here I come. That's a 12-bar blues. And it wasn't exactly rock and roll because it had a swing feel to it. It had a feeling of shuffling along compared to rock and roll, which was... See, that has a much more ur- uh, urgent kind of sound to it. But the thing is, during the 1950s, some white teenagers began to listen to R&B radio stations. And uh, there were a lot of them in the South. Not that many in the North, I don't think. But eventually, it spread to the North and to the Midwest. And eventually, we started to hear things like Kansas City and Good Golly Miss Molly on jukeboxes and also on the radio. So what happened was, kids in the early 50s were feeling a little lost. They felt that they didn't have their own culture. They felt that they were overlooked and they felt that their parents were sort of superficial and uh, not really with it. You know, because uh, there were things starting to happen in the 1950s uh, where the, the segregationists did not want to have this rock and roll black music being listened to by their kids or 
infiltrating into white neighborhoods. So the thing is, the teenagers at that time started to abandon the uh, generation of their parents, and they looked to people like James Dean in the movie Rebel Without a Cause, or Marlon Brando in The Wild Ones. The Wild, yes, uh, that uh, sort of were rebellious, and teens became rebellious. And uh, even movies catered to teenagers, like the Beat Generation and stuff like that, about beatniks and anybody who uh, would uh, try to, uh, you know, come up with their own ideas of what it was like to be, uh, to be different than their parents were and the past generations. So people started to listen to this stuff and parents eventually started listening to it. But what we had, then we had uh, uh, teen idols like Pat Boone. Right now he's selling bathtubs on television uh, because he doesn't have to lift his leg to crawl into the tub. He can walk right in. Maybe you know what I'm talking about, Jacob. Um, like a, like commercials. That's a yeah. commercial on television. Yeah, I just in fact I just saw it today <laughs> or yesterday, and uh, the thing is, uh, he was safe. Connie Francis was safe, and so were people like the teen idols, like Fabian, and Bobby Darin, and whatever. And I hate to say it, but it was because I think of the race problems that we were starting to. Uh, look at in the 1950s, which eventually came to a head in the mid 1960s, early 1960s, mid 1960s, uh, with the signing of the Civil Rights Act, and uh, so teenagers did not see that, you know, they they were looking at the world from different a different perspective than their parents. This is the world that they're going to live in, and they wanted to make it as easy as possible and to be accepting of everybody. And so uh, even though their parents may have objected to music sung by black artists, the thing is, teenagers, including myself, we didn't care about that. We cared about the music. Mm-hmm. You know, when Motown came along, Motown was my music. There's, <laughs> there's just no question about that. And uh, look how it lasted till today. It's terrific. So just to reinforce, um, when we talk about Tin Pan Alley and, and the status quo, because you mentioned that that some white teenagers started to want to listen to more um, music by, by black artists. So when we're talking about that, we mean the blues and, and the status quo would have been for, for white teenagers to listen to something like Tin Pan Alley. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but the thing is, eventually uh, the, uh, the music of the uh, black artists won out. Uh, the Rolling Stones. If there ever was a blues band, it's the Rolling Stones. They mm-hmm. listened to all of the things by Bo Diddley, by Chuck Berry, and you know all of those artists, and that's what really got them. And that's why they're total opposite of the Beatles. Uh, it's just that the Beatles were so innovative that if you had that kind of thinking, then that's what you listen to. Mm-hmm. I mean, when I asked my class, how many of you think? The Beatles are better than the Stones, which I, I hate to do things like that. But about half the hands would go up. Mm-hmm. Then I say, how many of you think that the Stones are better than the Beatles? And I don't use, like to use the word better. But how, what, I, what I meant was, 
how do you think they appeal to you more than one than the other? Do you have a and, preference for one? Yeah, a preference for one. Like it would be uh, 50% would say the Beatles, 50% would say the Rolling Stones. And of course, that's like everything else. It wasn't always that way every time I asked a different class. So uh, it depends what appeals to you more. Yeah. That's what it's all about. And that's kind of what you were saying before with how rock and roll, you know, might have a little bit, you know, you, you were saying the Beatles, more Tin Pan Alley focus, the, uh, or the Rolling Stones, more more um, blues. Not Well, focused isn't the right word, but more influenced. And, and that's, I feel like that's just kind of how we see these different genres coming together to make rock and roll. And yeah. Some bands might be influenced more by, you know, different... Mm-hmm. different but the different thing games. is, it's all, pe- it's all music for people who were young yeah. and who were spending the money to buy the records and that sort of thing, or listen to the radio. And, of course, with radio goes advertising. So certain radio uh, channels cater to this uh, style of music and others, you know, cater to other styles. Mm-hmm. Well, so, so let's, do, let's do a little recap. I think that's a, probably a good, a good spot to, to call it for the day. So let's do a little recap. So we know that... So we have so so when we're looking at rock and roll and we're looking at the basis for rock and roll, we talked about rhythm and blues and really how that serves as the foundation. We got the twelve bar blues, originated in uh, with with slaves in the field doing these call and response. Which can we, just a just a ref, a quick refresher. Can you allow, talk about the call and response one more time? Yeah, well, the call and response made its way into rock and roll music, even though it started way, way back, much even further than uh, you can imagine. Uh, It may have even originated in Africa. uh, And as the uh, slaves were brought here, this is all that they had uh, as far as their way of expressing themselves. And then eventually it just still hung around and it still is hanging around today. Yeah. So it's it's, it's where we have the field holler, which is what you were saying is kind of the leader. And they would shout out a line and yeah. everyone else would respond with the same line well maybe the same line or maybe they would have a different line that they improvised by themselves and it caught okay. on uh we don't know exactly uh we have ideas but uh it's like everything else how much of our history is really true it's uh it's you know what you make of it yeah i mean there are people who think that spaceships were here back in the days of egypt which you know, might be true. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> so we've got, so we've got the blues. We, and we said that that serves as the foundation for rock and roll, but we also have, we have, we talked about country Western a little bit. We talked about Tin Pan Alley, which is, um, for lack of a better term, I guess the pop music of, we, we were talking about 1940s ish era, mm-hmm. um, more based off Broadway shows more square to put it your way is that fair well i wouldn't call it square what i would do is i would just say it's a totally different style that you go either appreciate one more than the other or the other one more than the other so Mm -hmm. that's it all depends who you are yeah it's like uh would you rather wear blue or red what does it matter you know we grow up uh, asking each other, what's your favorite this? What's your favorite that? What's your favorite food? What's your, fa-? you know, 
and uh, it depends with me uh, especially it depends on the mood that i'm in that day yeah yeah it's like you put it that way i i i feel it's like you know you're putting together an outfit or something for the day and you can get like all these different garments and colors and whatnot it's almost mm-hmm. like rock and roll is such a big genre with all these different ingredients you can make so many different blends of, of well here's things. an example i woke up with a very optimistic feeling today knowing we were going to do this and i looked at all of the shirts i must have 500 shirts <laughs> this is my favorite shirt mm-hmm. and i decided to wear this today because i want the day to be like perfect you yeah. know what i mean and if i'm just gonna loll around the house and try to straighten things up and do whatever uh i don't care about how i feel that day yeah because my feelings are already going to be affected by what i have to do that day and uh that's how i feel about music i could listen to the beatles i could listen to the rolling stones i could listen to a broadway show that I've seen, or maybe not even have seen, just for the sake of learning some something new about writing music yeah. and performing music, mm-hmm. uh, because that's what I do. I just had a call today. I've been booked for, uh, what, I think August, yeah, August 17th of this coming year. I haven't been booked for anything for months because of the pandemic, mm-hmm. and I was thrilled to hear from my friend Rob, who is, plays bass in my band, and he said, uh, he just talked to the lady who uh, booked us for this gig that we played outdoors last August, and she wants us again for August 17th. I'm thrilled. I can't wait. I've been living in a jail cell for the last year with this pandemic. Yeah. And now things are looking good. And so I'm becoming a lot more optimistic. So you wore your favorite shirt. I wore gonna... This is my favorite shirt. It probably has food on it from the last time <laughs> I wore it. I don't know. But it's my favorite shirt. And uh, I'm that way with music. Whatever yeah. I'm in the mood for, I'll listen to it. Because I consider myself uh, not just popular uh, this or popular that, popular this, popular that. And I want to say one thing about country western. I have, have got to tell you... A lot of country western people have become much more adventurous in their writing. Uh, they've written a lot of really, really fine things over the last number of years. And uh, I don't think that we should... There's a perfect example of music that went through a great evolution. Mm-hmm. Probably as much as any other form of music. Yeah. You know, and especially with the way things are today, we're always looking for something new and different aren't we? We are. Yeah, that is true. I think more so, or as much as the kids in the 1950s who were rebellious and wanted their own music. Yeah. You know, and let's face it, if you want to be, if you want to be successful and you want to make a buck or a lot of bucks, you're going to cater to the public. Yeah. And that's why when I go out to play a job, which used to be like very, very often, compared with the way things are under this health problem. Uh, The thing is, I always looked at the age of my group, I looked at who they were, and I thought, I know what they'll like. That's why I can play such a different amount of music. Yeah. And uh, so... And there's all these... like Like I said, I mean, I feel like rock and roll is such a big genre. It's so... Because it has all these different influences that you can make so many different, 
you know, you, you have all these different ingredients. You can make so many different outcomes mm-hmm. that have these different feels to it, depending on what you're doing the, that day, or if you're feeling optimistic or pessimistic, or if you're playing mm-hmm. a show for a certain group of people, you can cater, you, you can like tailor it mm-hmm. towards all these different characteristics because yeah. there's so many different varieties of it. Well, here's an example. We all know the songs by the mamas and the papas. California Dreamin', Monday, Monday. They're not necessarily great, happy songs, but they have a wonderful, happy sound to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was the big thing in the mid-60s when they were popular. We were looking for the age of Aquarius, if you remember that song from the Broadway musical Hair. That was a big hit by the Fifth Dimension because it was going to be a new age. It was going to be something uh, to look forward to. Never happened. But we were foolish enough to believe it. Yeah. Well, maybe it happened for a few people on a personal level, but <laughs> actually, you know, we found out that things are still the same. Look, yeah. You know, look at the way things are today. Well, I think that's probably a, a good spot for today. But hopefully you all enjoyed that and you should listen to our next episode. And we'll keep talking about this evolution of rock and roll. So hope you all enjoyed and see ya.